Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. You can be seated this morning. Praise God. Hallelujah. We want to take a moment this morning and just welcome everybody that's out today. We are so glad that you are here in person today, and we are also glad for those that are joining us online. We appreciate you. We love you today, and we're glad you're joining with us. We also want to release right now our youth, junior high, high school. Uh, If you'd like to go, they're leaving in the back. You can follow Alex. They'll go out to their room and have their service out there. Amen. A couple of things I want to just highlight before we get into our message today. I just want to highlight uh, this class that uh, Howie's doing, uh, The Readiness of Berea. He's going to be starting that back up uh, this week, uh, Thursday at 6.30, out in room number 8. And he is going to be doing a very important Bible study. This is uh, uh, called the Methods of Bible Study. Um, how many know, we, we, we know that we need to read and study our Bible, but oftentimes we find a struggle at really getting the most out of that. And so how he's going to do in this class is he's actually going to teach you some of the methods and, and show you some of the tools that we use to uh, get more, to glean more from the Word of God and to learn how to truly study our Bible. And so you don't want to miss that. That's at on Thursdays at 6.30, uh, room number 8. And then also, uh, you may have seen a flyer or two go through. We are going to be starting um, a new class. Uh, Shelby Jackson is going to be starting. This is for uh, men, uh, for uh, men only, and it's going to be a Bible study. And they're going to be doing, uh, following a book called The Discipleship uh, Essentials. And this is going to begin January 20th. So not this Thursday, but the following Thursday. And that's going to be at seven o'clock in room number four. So mark that down. Um, uh, the I believe next week we'll have a sign-up. There may even be a sign-up. There is, okay, so we have a sign-up out there at the Information Center. You could sign up and be a part of that. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me over to the book of Acts, the book of Acts chapter 9. Uh, We'll get to that here in just a moment. Um, I want to share something with you that really, this is a series that I'm doing. It's, it's kind of morphed into something that God has been speaking to me about for a while now, <clears throat> something that God's been doing inside of me. And I, I think this is really not just for me, amen, this is for us. Can you say amen to that? And so I, I really believe that God's trying to communicate to our church and he's wanting to show us a direction. Uh, for our church. Now, I I do want to make one disclaimer, and I know that there are some that would say, well, you shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it anyway because you need to understand. A lot of times when God speaks to me, I am just one step ahead of the pack, okay? And so this is something that is literally being worked out in me as well. So I'm not saying, I'm not standing up here in the, in the position of, uh, of being an expert. I'm saying this is fresh from the throne of God, moving us in a direction. Can you say amen to that? Now, last week, I began a new series entitled Personalizing the Vision. And the point of this series is to help you understand the vision of this church and to encourage you to make it your own. 
Now you say, why do you say that? Now there is something that often people say to me. They, they, they come to me, they make a statement to me, and the statement they will say is this little phrase. They'll say, well, your church. Whatever they're talking about, they'll make reference to my church. No, no. This is our church. Can you say amen? Uh, if there's anyone that holds ownership, it would be Jesus. If Jesus is the only one that can say, my church. Now, I understand what they're talking about, but I also understand that there can be a subtlety here that can throw people off. We can think that, well, you know, that's your church, pastor, because that's what you're doing. No, this is our church, and this is what we are doing in partnership with God in heaven. Can you say amen? And therefore, what we need is to personalize the vision of this house. The vision that exists in this house needs to be our vision. Can you say amen to that? And I told you that there are three words on the wall in the foyer that sum up the vision of this church. Those words are grace, hope, and transformation. And those words are more than decorations. These words describe the heart of all that we do as a body of believers. We do what we do. Everything we do is for one reason and one reason only, and that is for the one who desperately needs a savior, a healer, a deliverer. We do what we do for the one that is still lost, still in sin, and still broken. We do it so that they, like us, can come and receive grace, find hope, and experience transformation. And I told you that we are at a crossroads, a crossroads moment that calls for a vision, a really big vision. Can you say amen? It's a vision that will change this city. It's a vision that changes the lives of multitudes. It's a vision that ignites hearts. It's a vision that wins souls. But it's not a vision that just brings people to salvation, but it's a vision that reaches the lost, restores the broken, and releases people into their destiny. And if we are truly going to live out that vision, then I told you last week that we must hear the call of the harvest. We must win souls to Christ. It must be our passion. Can you say amen to that? But there's more, than, there's more to it than that. Listen to me. Church, we need to be the church God has called us to be. I don't want the church that you want. I don't want the church that I want. I want the church he wants. Can you say amen to that? And that's what we've got to be about. What is God passionate about? He's passionate about the souls of men. Listen to me today. God did not call us just to see people saved. He called us in the Great Commission to disciple nations. That's a big vision. It's more than just going out and seeing people saved. There is more to it. Our vision must include that you and I 
personally make an investment into the lives that God gives us. Listen, I'm going to make a very important statement, and I want you to listen to this. We cannot afford to birth illegitimate children into the kingdom of God. We must raise up spiritual mothers and fathers, and that's who we're called to be. Spiritual mothers and fathers that will nurture and help the born again. You know, this is what's funny about this statement. We talk about the salvation experience because of Scripture. We talk about it as being the born again. We are born again. We're born anew into the kingdom of God. We even refer to those that have been converted as baby Christians. But we seem to be the only organization that can leave our babies out in the open, exposed and vulnerable to everything society has without providing a mother or father for them. One of the things that, if you've ever heard of an evangelist, a missionary by the name of Reinhard Bunke, Reinhard Bunke uh, primarily operated in the continent of Africa and uh, literally saw some of the largest crowds ever assembled. 2.2 million, I think, was his largest crowd at one night event. 2.2 million. I'm not sure if you understand that's close to the size of Phoenix, Arizona. Okay, 2.2 million. And one of the things that was happening is literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands and, and it began to move into millions of people are getting saved. But one of the things they noticed fairly quickly, there were no churches that were coming to receive these babies. But the vultures were. The occults were. They saw that there was really good fodder, and they could gobble them up quickly. And so one of the things, thing, the, the, the Billy Graham Association and, and Reinhardt Bunke's ministry and several others begin to understand how they needed to partner with churches to be able to nurture those that came into the kingdom. Well, now we pare that down to, the, to a church size. We are believing God for revival. We want revival. How many want revival? Amen. Every hand should have been up. We want revival. You say, why do we want revival? Because that's what we're here for. We are here to see souls won. We are here to see people receive grace, find hope, and experience transformation. But that does not happen from what happens behind this pulpit. I like to tell you that I'm good, and I am pretty good, but I ain't good enough. It takes you working with me, ultimately working with him. It takes a church that will rise up and say, you know what, I am going to be what I need to be for people so that they can become all that God has called them to be. We reach the lost. We restore the broken. And then we release them into their destiny. That's what spiritual mothers and fathers do. We must help them with their first steps into this new life. Last week, I told you a story about Pastor Howard when he first got saved. 
He was not a star convert. He was quite the uh, excited, passionate convert, but he was not a star convert in the sense that, you know, he'd go to church with his bib overalls on and no shirt and no underwear, and, and he was good with that, and, and he had big old long beard and long hair, and he just was who he was. And he would get so excited in worship services that he would end up being so overtaken by the moment that he would turn himself around and be facing the congregation. And, you know, and everybody's kind of looking at him like, wow, what's happening to you? Well, he had gotten saved. God, he had given his life to Jesus. But the story I told you was that there was a couple there. They were an older couple. They were probably in their late 60s, early 70s. And nowadays that's, you know, not really old to me anymore. Um, you know, 60s, the new 30, right? But there was this couple, Carol and Lawrence Huey, that invited, they went to him, and they went to him and Pam at the time, and they uh, went and they said, hey, we just want to take you out to dinner. We just want a fellowship with you. And I remember Howard telling me the story with, with, with great emotion because they really did make a difference in his life. I mean, there was a lot of people that spoke into him. There was a lot of people that gave him great instruction and discipleship and all of those things. But it was these people that probably made the greatest difference because he said, had they not befriended me, I don't know that I would have stayed. But here is this older couple. They're, you know, all put together. They're, you know, professional people. She's got her hair, you know, not, not one hair out of place. And he's all dressed very Nice, and they're prim and proper and very, you know, uh, you know, the very typical grandma style of people. And here's Howard and Pam who are just basically off the streets, you know, just got done fighting. And, you know, I could tell you stories. I, 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 I'm actually, I, I was talking to Howard's son, Travin, the other day, and I said, yeah, I think I ought to, I think I need to write down some of the stories, the Howard stories before... We forget them because some of them are just outrageously funny and, and, and touching. But he was a wild man. He, you know, he still was smoking dope at this point because he'd go into his shed thinking God couldn't see through the shed. <laughs> see, he, but Lawrence and Carol Huey, they just befriended him. They didn't try to change him. They didn't condemn him. They didn't tell him all the rights and wrongs. What they did is loved him. They were just friends, and he, he, says, he, he told me the story one time. He's sitting there, and he's just having a hard time. He goes, I just told he goes, this does not make sense. These are not, this is not my tribe. These aren't the people I hang out with. But something was happening. They were making a difference in a man's life, and that man ended up pioneering five churches and preaching all over the world, and people are in the ministry today because of that man and because of a, a couple that took it upon themselves to be a friend. They made a difference, and I am here to tell you that everyone can make a difference when someone comes to the Lord. So let's look at our story. Now, I'll admit to you this morning in Acts, we're going to read about 18 verses of Scripture, but you need to hear this. I think I'm going to read it off the board because mine's messed up. It says, Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, Go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas where... You get, when you get there, ask for 
a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, and as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. And he laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, that's an amazing statement right there. Go back. Brother Saul, the Lord, uh, now go forward. Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, that's, that's OCD, got to read every word, has sent me to you that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is indeed the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among the Jesus followers in Jerusalem? They asked, and didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Saul preached, Saul's preaching became more and more powerful. And the Jews in Damascus couldn't refuse his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. They were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So they stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Now the reason I took that time, and I know this is a long portion of scripture, but this is probably one of the more critical moments in Paul's life. Because both Ananias and Barnabas make significant contributions to Paul's life and who he would ultimately become. They truly demonstrated the power of a faithful friend. Now, I want you to listen with me. Most people are looking for friends. Most. Not all. There's always one that will come up to me afterwards and go, I don't need no friends. Okay. Carry on then. Some people are desperately looking for friendship. Especially when life shakes us to the core. Can you say amen to that? And the people that God will give us they need the investment of our lives in them. Listen, they will not be able to do this without us. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's impossible this morning to underestimate the power of a faithful friend. And it's, inc it's incredibly, critically important 
that we be friends to those people that God gives us. There are five characteristics that I want to look at very quickly of a faithful friend. First one is be there. Think about the best friends that you have in your life, the people that come to mind. Those are the people who found a way to be with you. Many of them were those that showed up in the routine of life. Maybe they worked with you or maybe you grew up in the same neighborhood or maybe you go to the same church or you frequent the same businesses with them, but nonetheless, they're there. And when you think about the best friends in your life, those are the people that found a way to be with you even during tough times. How many stories would have been told if we of friends that made a difference in our lives if they would have found a way to stand by our side? See, a friend, a true friend, is one that will set everything aside for you. The details may differ from person to person, but one thing is for certain, faithful friends, they don't stop with a phone call or an email or a text or an instant message. They find a way to be there. Imagine if you were in real need and you called on your best friend and they said to you, well, I'm a little bit busy right now. You know, I, I, my favorite show is on TV. And, or, you know, I'm watching TikTok right now. I'm a little busy. That's for the younger generation. <laughs> it's okay, you can laugh. I know people are getting nervous, like, oh my God, where's he going? Well, I'm going to pick on everyone. So if you're watching, I love Lucy, so that's middle-aged people. That's my age and older. Or if you're listening to Dean Martin, it's for really old people. Or you millennials, you're working on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or some other social media to find out if you're really important to the people in your life that have no time to actually get with you, but they can send you a message. Think about that. A friend is somebody that's there. They're there. They go to great trouble and great lengths. They they will spend and make great expense to be there. A faithful friend simply ignores his or her own needs in order to help a friend. Listen to what I'm saying. We are praying for revival. We want people to get saved. We want people's lives changed. But more often than not, it has been my experience that it is through the context of relationship where people are changed the best. It's through the context of relationship with God, ultimately, and then the relationship they have with his church. You are his church that we come together and through that relationship, through that friendship of being there, 
change happens. We're transformed because things transpire to work out through our lives. But let me ask you a question. What if God asked you to befriend an enemy? Or ask you to befriend a person that's got a lot of problems? You know, they got more issues than Time Magazine. Or maybe they're just too messed up. Or they're not your type. Or they're too young. Or they're too old. What then? This is what's happening. Jesus said to Ananias, he says, I want you to go and I want you to go lay hands on Saul. And Ananias is like, um, do you know who he is? Do you, know, do you know what he's been doing to Christians? And I'm going to go in there and say, hey, I'm going to lay hands on you so you can get healed. Jesus will heal you. I'm not certain that's going to work out well for me. But Jesus said, I love the way it, it's written. He said, go. He doesn't mix words. He says, go. And so he goes, listen, Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 35, he says, love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. Now listen, listen to this. For, his, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. It is said of God that our God is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. This idea of God blasting everybody because they're sinners is not even biblical. He died for sinners. He died so sin could be eradicated from your life and so that you could walk in relationship with him. And then he says, I am kind to those that are unthankful and wicked. And that's what he calls us to be. Ananias almost certainly had family and had a set of faithful friends. He lived in Damascus. He kept up with the news. He knew the terrorist named Saul was on the loose. And Ananias is standing there and the Lord says, I have a new friend for you, Ananias. Can you imagine what went through his mind before he fully understood all that's going on? Before he said, yes, Lord, before the the details of the job became clear, Ananias is wrestling, but God said, this is necessary. This is only going to work if you go and be there for him. Paul the apostle, Saul the man from Tarsus became Paul the apostle because Ananias went and was a friend. And he was a friend to his enemy, despite his fear. Here's the point. There is power in a personal visit. Salespeople know it. They sell far more products in person than they do over the phone, through the internet, or advertise. See, I think what's happened is that, and, and look at, I am all for technology. Uh, I'm preaching off an iPad, for heaven's sakes. I'm for it. I have all the social media. I'm good with it. 
but we can never allow it to replace the power of a personal friend, of a personal investment. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We need to go invest in people. God is going to give us revival. Revival is here. So what does that mean? It means he's ready. And maybe, just maybe, the revival that we're praying for will be opened up to us when we finally realize that we have to invest in it. And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about you. That you would be a faithful friend. That you would rise up and be a mother or a father, a spiritual mother or father, loving those that don't even fit into your world. The second thing that a faithful friend has is they, have, they understand the power of a gentle touch. See, most every culture uses a touch in greeting. A handshake, a bear hug, a kiss on the cheek, or a kiss on both cheeks. A touch can show sympathy, it can show friendship, it could show trust, and sometimes even powerful trust. Sometimes agreements, business agreements are made through the power of a handshake. But in this day and age, touch has become taboo because of the fear of a spreading virus. And I think the damage that's been done in this pandemic is far greater than just the physical realities. We've become more distant, more fearful, more insecure, and more isolated. But I am going to proclaim to you this morning that there are more ways than just physical touch to touch someone's life. A smile, a kind word, sharing your time, Showing genuine interest in a person's life can be a gentle touch. And I want you to think about this for a moment. I want you to ponder this. See, what a great gift Ananias gave when he came to see Paul the first time. In Luke, it records that Luke records this in Acts 17, 9, 17. He says, and Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. That's amazing. Saul had come to Damascus literally to bind the hands of Ananias. Instead, Ananias used those very hands to gently touch Saul. They both originally anticipated a struggle, possibly a fistfight, even a battle to the death. But instead, a kind touch is extended from the hunted to the hunter. How simple a solution for Paul's problem. What he needed most at that moment was a friend. Before Saul heard a word from Ananias, a stranger, before he knew the answers to his questions, Saul felt a gentle touch on his shoulder. A faithful friend knows how to touch someone when they're hurting how to communicate love, how to restore confidence, how to encourage. A faithful friend understands the power of a touch. Thirdly, faithful friends know how to speak the right words at the right time. A faithful friend says not simply kind words, but they say the right words 
at the right time. Proverbs 25, 11 says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. What does that mean? It means they're really valuable. What the Bible is telling us is to encourage one another. This is the call today on all believers that we would be encouragers. Can you say amen to that? And if there's ever been a time where people need encouragement, where people need hope, they need to be encouraged, it's now. We live in a world where people can be very cruel and hateful and disrespectful. They could say painful words and, and they could be uh, uh, vicious in their communication. What we need is people to be encouraging. I think sometimes the thing that disappoints me about Christians is how often we can move into a place of religious viciousness. Forgetting where we came from. We see people and it's like, ooh, we gotta walk to the other side of the street or I'm not gonna sit by them. You know, a lot of my ministry in, as a senior pastor the last nine, almost 10 years now, I've had to deal with people that most people would never deal with. The greatest lesson, one of the greatest lessons of my life transpired through a woman that to say the least on a good day was difficult. Many of you remember her. She's now in heaven. She met him at heaven home. Her name was Shannon. And Shannon was anything but normal. I'm not speaking out of turn, and I'm not saying anything that she wouldn't, if she was standing behind this pulpit, say of herself. In fact, she wore weirdness and eccentricity as a badge. Whatever that word is. I'm trying to improve my vocabulary, but it's not working. I could say it in my head, but I can't say it with my mouth. I'm not sure. But Shannon was just as strange as the day is long. And Shannon, in, when she first started coming to the church, she decided she was going to be the church cheerleader. And she decided that it was her job, appointed by God, anointed of God, to make sure you all were worshiping. And what she would do is on the front row during song service, she would turn around and she'd go, come on, let's go, let's worship, lift your hands, come on. I ain't joking. Those of you that were here during that time know what I'm talking about. She had a dog, a little, little dog named Guido, and her Facebook was her dog's Facebook. And you talked to Guido. And you say, where did that come from? That came from the 1970s when Saturday Night Live had Father Guido on it, and that's how Guido came into place. Like I'm saying, she's different. Well, I went to her one day and I told her, you can't be the church cheerleader. You can't do this. You got to stop. It's, you know, freaking people out. And I'm, you know, I, I, I'm for your freaking me out. And then what she would do is she would heckle me from the front row. He said, what do you mean? I would ask a rhetorical question. It's like, does everybody love Jesus? Like, and yeah, I love Jesus. Pastor, do you want me to tell you? And she would talk to me while I'm preaching. And I told her, I went to her, I said, you got to stop. I can't do this, man. You're, you're way too weird. And then she wanted to be, she says, you need to hire me as a counselor. Make a long story short, she got mad at me because I 
resisted her at every turn. And finally, one day, we were sitting in the front row, and, and I don't know, one of the guys was doing greeting, and we were shaking hands, and I went to go talk to her about something she did, and she's running through the altar area up here doing this to me. <laughs> Camera wide open, running. I'm chasing, you know, and you would think that the guy I am would just stop chasing. You know what the thing is, is if you've got a four-year-old running through the store, just stop. That you're going to embarrass yourself. Just stop. He'll come back. He, when he gets hungry, he'll find his way home. You know, and the reality is I'm chasing her. I'm now being as weird as she is. And I'm chasing. No, no. It's, I could see myself throwing holy water and oil, you know, as she's going. Like, it is just as weird as the day is long. And, you know, I'm, I'm like, well, the next Monday I go to a conference. Why I'm driving to the conference, I get a call from my son, Jason. She has written a letter to the editor on Kingman Daily Minor. Nobody's going to tell me how to worship. I'm going to worship like Madonna. That's what she says. It's just a nightmare. I am determined when I get back, I've never in all my years kicked anybody out of church. I'm determined I'm kicking her out of this one. You're done. You're over. Can't take it no more. And so I go to this conference, and there's a guy preaching, and he's telling stories, and he's talking about the love of God. So much so, I am so convicted, I got up from my seat, and I said, I am out of here, and I walked out into the parking lot. I can't take it. Because I know God's got me hammered, man. And God speaks to me in the parking lot. God found his way out to the parking lot, and he found me, and he said, John, this is what he said, one sentence, Stop trying to change her. Start loving her. That's it. No, I can't do it. I'm not going to not. Not going to do it. Came back. I know I'm making this long. I'll shorten it. Came back, sitting on the front row, getting ready to come take the stage. I'm sitting right next to her. She's leaning because she don't want to touch me. (laughs) It's, I'm telling you, it's... It's a $3 bill, let me tell you. So I noticed she's in pain. And I said, Shannon, can I pray for you? And she said, yeah. So I just, I put my hand on her knee, and I just said, God, heal her in Jesus' name. The next week, did the same thing. The next week, did the same thing. The fourth week, she wore this really pretty blue shirt and I just walked up to her and I said Shannon what a beautiful shirt you have on today her eyes lit up I just began to love her I stopped trying to change her just loved her and you know what she changed she became the president of my fan club (laughs) she she also became uh, the uh, sergeant of arms and she she turned. All, a lot of the weirdness stuck. But you know what? She was weird before she came here, so it wasn't about here. But she, she changed, and she learned to love God. And I learned the greatest lesson of my life. The most powerful thing I can do with people is love them. And that's what God's calling us to do. Can you say amen? See, Ananias was there for Saul. He touched him like a friend who cared. And he spoke kindly to him. He spoke the right words at the right time. And finally, as I close this message, there's one other thing. 
that friends do is they don't waver in their support. And Jason can come if he wants. See, during the first week of Saul's spiritual training camp, he met Barnabas. And he had no idea that this guy's nickname was the encourager. It's funny. Barnabas was known as the encourager. Wouldn't you like to be known? Wouldn't it be great if the nickname we came up for you was the encourager? So when Saul left Damascus, he walked back to Jerusalem. Can you imagine? I mean, Saul has had this moment. I mean, he gets his eyes healed. He has this moment with Jesus. Ananias was there. He's preaching in the synagogue. People are getting saved. They're amazed at the wisdom he has. There's got to be just, you know, a, a, a skip in his step now. And he's like, man, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to meet the disciples. I'm going to meet the apostles. These guys that actually lived with Jesus, I'm going to meet them. I'm going to go. But when he arrived, he couldn't find a single disciple. Every time he got close to tracking somebody down, all he found was an empty house. Every time he was ready to hold out his hand in friendship, there was no one there. And the the truth seemed to be obvious. The church was hiding from Saul. I'm going to say something that's going to be probably a little controversial. Do you know you can hide in plain sight? And the problem is, is what happens to Christians, I think, sometimes is we get to this point where, you know, we have all these standards now and we think those standards need to be transferred to the people that are coming in. And so what we want is we want everybody that's cleaned up. Really what we want is we, 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 we want to we see saved people get saved. We want to see church people get saved. Well, I'm going to tell you, you didn't start out clean. You, didn't, you had a lot of bumps and bruises. Some of you still do. We all do. And sometimes it's really easy to hide. And this is where I'm saying, you know, when I said in the beginning of the service that this is something that God's dealing with me and helping me, because it's really easy for me to hide. I, I don't require lots of people. My personality, I do really well in a cave. Cool and a little damp. I am like mold. I, I, a cool, damp place, and I'm thriving. You know, I don't mind social settings as long as they're small. That's, that's who I am. And so it's really easy for me to find excuses where I'm hiding. I hide in my office or I hide here, hide there, or, you know, whatever. But see, somewhere along the line, God's wanting us to get out of our hiding places. He's wanting us to be that friend because I really believe God wants to give us some real, real transformations. But they're going to need us, just like Paul needed them. And so Paul comes to Jerusalem and he's trying to find a friend. He's trying to find somebody. He's wanting to meet the apostles. And lo and behold, the person that he brings into his life is Barnabas. And Barnabas is known as the encourager. And you know what Barnabas does? He says, I know where they're hiding. I'll take you right to him. I'm certain they wanted to change his nickname after that. But he takes them and he says, you know what? I'll vouch for you. 
I know you're crazy. I know you got a track record. I know, I know, Paul, there's, there's a lot behind you. But I believe in you. I believe in the work of God in you. And I, I won't waver in my support for you. You know, church, sometimes that will cost you a little bit. But I'm going to tell you something. When you do that, it'll change people's lives. So I think this is what Jesus is waiting for. And I, I preach this because, you know, it's easy to preach on the, I'll hear the call because it's, you know, it's so obvious and we can preach on passion and all of that. We can talk about it's palatable. We get that and we go, yeah, we should want souls. But this is where the groundwork starts because when they start coming in, I need you as your pastor to rise up and be Carol and Lawrence Huey for another Howard Pennington. That doesn't mean that I organize some sort of follow-up team and I schedule you. That means you go out and you find somebody that you don't know and say, hey, can I take you to lunch? Who are you? What's your life like? What's going on in you? Did you just get saved? Wow, praise God. How can I help you? I want to tell you, you can make it. I know there's a lot of difficulties and ups and downs, but I'll be there for you. If you've got a problem, you call me. Just call me. I'll help out. And you know what? They may. They, they, it, be ready. They may call at 3 in the morning. Or at 9.30 at night. Their, 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 their little boy's dog might have just got cut him and they have to take him to the hospital. It's all kinds of stuff like that. But that's what it's about. See, that's revival, church. That's when the church is functioning. And that's what we need to be. We need to be there. We need to touch gently. We need to speak the right words at the right time. And we need not to waver in our support. Can you say amen to that? Why don't you bow your heads with me? Father, we just thank you so much. We thank you for your goodness and we thank you, Jesus, that you have convicted us and challenged us. And I pray right now, Lord, that you would make this message real in our hearts, God. Father, that we would consider this in our own life. Lord, that we would be encouraged to go forward. Father, I thank you. I thank you. And as every head is bowed, every eye is closed. If you're here today or if you're joining us online and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you've never asked him to come into your life or to forgive you of your sin, or, or maybe you did at one time, but through circumstances and just the <clears throat> process of life, you find yourself out of relationship and you want to rededicate your life. If you need salvation or rededication, would you lift your hand up all across this place? Anyone? Amen. I see that hand. I see that one. Someone else? You, you want salvation? Amen. I see that one. Online, if you're joining us online, we're going to pray here in a moment and you just join with us in that prayer. So would you say these words? In fact, would you all say this? Say, Lord Jesus. I ask you to come into my life, 
to be my Lord and my Savior. I give you my life, and I receive yours in return. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you were online and you said that prayer for the first time, you know, write us a comment. Just put a comment down. Let us know how to get a hold of you. We would love to pray with you and help you any way that we can. I'm going to ask our ministry team to come. Before we stand, just have our ministry team come. And the reason that they're up here is because, you know what, they, they want to pray for you. If you come here today and you have a need of any kind and you need prayer for healing or whatever it might be, a provision, direction, whatever, deliverance, come up and they will pray with you. If you prayed that prayer here today for salvation or rededication and you need, and you need a touch, come up. Let them pray with you and minister to you and that will be a great help. Next week, we're going to do part three of this uh, series and I am encouraged and I want you to come. It's going to be entitled Restoring the Altar. So you need to come and be a part and see what God has to say to our lives for that. Amen. Let's stand to our feet and we're going to release you today. God bless you. You guys have a wonderful Sunday afternoon. Thank you for joining us online. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.